Well, good morning, Canyon Hills. Good morning. That was awesome. It's great to be with you this morning. If you guys can do me a favor and take the basket of pens and pass it through the aisles and open up your Bibles or turn on your Bibles. We're going to be all over the place this morning. So, you know, I'm really excited because we've been in this series called The Miracle of Mercy for seven weeks, and this is our eighth week. And it seems like we've been on it for a long time, but I feel we've barely scratched the surface. I mean, there's so much more in this whole concept of mercy. And I like God's mercy. I think you guys do too. I mean, take the scripture, for example. This scripture here has been our theme scripture throughout the, the, the entire series. And it says that God's mercies are renewed every single morning. And I don't know about you, but I need that in my life because I mess up a lot. You guys can ask my wife about that later. So when it comes to mercy, I love to receive that mercy. In fact, I pray about God's mercy. I prayed about this scripture way before the series, and I'll continue to pray about it way after the series. I mean, that, that's how much this means to me. So I like the scripture, and I think you would agree with me that we all want and we need God's mercy in our life. In fact, I need it so much that it, this, this reminded me of a, of a story about I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, the first time I went, to, I got to go to the Philippines. Before that, I had been to Mexico and Ecuador. But this was the first time they said, hey, you need some shots before you go into this country. And I'm like, I don't want to go to a country that requires shots. But anyway, if God's sending me there, I better go to the doctor and get my shots. And I'm thinking the worst. How many of you guys like shots? Anybody? Yeah, no, me either. So I'm going into, I don't know what to expect. So I'm with the travel nurse at Kaiser. I walk in there, and she happens to be Filipino, so I'm practicing my Tagalog, and, which is nothing. But anyway, I'm sitting there, and we're just hitting it off. But this whole time, I'm thinking, they're about to give me a shot in, in, in my bum, and I don't like that, you know? And I don't know how many shots I needed, but I, I was just a, a little terrified because she was a girl, and I'm uncomfortable, and she's trying to put me at ease, and she goes, well, I need you to, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to give you that. And the whole time, I'm overthinking it, and then she says, I'm going to go outside, I'm going to prepare your shots, and I'll be right in. And it seemed like forever would be in between that time, and the whole time I'm thinking, how should I stand? Should I put my, my pants down? To my, I don't know what to do. Should I stand like this and just show a little bit of the, you know. I'm like overthinking it, and, and finally I decide last minute, you know, like, I just go, you know what, I'm just going to just get it over with. So I put my pants down, and I just kind of go like, you know, one cheek out. I know that's weird, but I'm just there, and I'm just standing there, and she opens the door, and she goes, oh! Sir, these shots go on your arm. <laughs> That's why I need God's mercy. And I walked out and I said, see you at church, because I had invited her to church. It was terrible. So I need God's mercy in my life. I really do, more than anything else. But that gets complicated when we're supposed to be this conduit of mercy and that, that flows out from us, Right? Because when you start thinking about God's mercy, and then you take this scripture into consideration that says, all of a sudden, because of God's mercy, that we are to be a living sacrifice. And think about that for a second. For us to be a living sacrifice to offer mercy means that we have to sacrifice whatever it is that gets in the way of that mercy. For some of us, it could be our pride, our prejudice. It could be Whatever it may be, we have to sacrifice all of it for the sake of offering mercy to others. And when we do that, the Bible tells us that this is an act of worship to God. So I like mercy when it comes to me, 
when it flows through me because I need it. I just told you how bad I need it. I need it all the time. Mercy is awesome to receive, but it gets complicated when you have to give. And you know what further complicates mercy is like, I, I, I can give mercy to people I like. People that I think are deserving of my mercy, like if it was mine to give. The problem is that what if you think that person is undeserving of that mercy? That, when it gets hard, that's why this concept of mercy is, so, is something that, I mean, if we could just have taken seven weeks, we could just all leave now, and if we were to practice this, but we need more than that. You know, because God, he provided the ultimate example of mercy, and it is our duty. In fact, if we are going to take God seriously, or we're going to take his teaching seriously, it is our duty to be agents of mercy, to walk out of these doors and just start to spread, to be that conduit of mercy that flows from us into everybody else. So I want this weekend, as we just close this series, to look at mercy, but as specifically as it pertains to being a witness. And so, in fact, the scripture tells us in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus set this right before he went back to heaven and he resurrected from the dead. This is what he said. He says, you will be my witnesses. Now, when you read that, I mean, it's such a short sentence. It's not a big deal, right? But when you try to apply that, it changes. And you start to, start to think of, you know, what is a witness? Well, the, the, the first thing I think of is it takes me to a courtroom. You know, a witness is somebody who just testifies and who says what happened. And, you know, this is what I saw and this is what happened. It's your story. Notice that it's not the job of the witness to be the prosecution or, or to, to be the defense attorney. It's not their job to convince. It's not uh, the job of the witness to be the defense. All the witness says is, this is what I saw. This is what happened to me. So folks, any time that God has done something in your life, you have a story about it. That means that you have a testimony. That means that you are a witness. If God has helped you overcome any, any fear, then you have a testimony. If God has helped you manage your anger, then you have a testimony, you have a story about it. If God has helped you through a difficult health crisis or a financial crisis, you have a story about it, that means you have a testimony. That's the way it works. You literally have hundreds and hundreds of testimonies in your life. And the one you share with people is the one that God is going to ask you to share is the one that relates closely to the person that you're talking to. And to be a witness simply means that you share what God has done in your life. That means that you don't have to, you know, know a whole lot of scripture or be a theologian or be able to just quote scripture, you know, from memory. No, it just means that you just share what God has done in your life. I mean, Jesus never said, hey, you have to be my defense attorney or, or my prosecutor. He never said, you have to convince or convict people on my behalf. Folks, that's God's job. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. Your job is just to be a witness and nobody can challenge you because your witness is your story. Nobody can take that away from you. And, and as the world becomes, I don't know, how should I put it? I mean, more mean, more unkind, more unloving. We have to ask ourselves, I mean, is the world becoming more loving or self-centered? Is the world becoming more... Um, Polite than 10 years ago, or are we more rude than we were 10 years ago? Is, the world isn't getting any more loving, is it? The world isn't getting any more kind. I mean, there's still wars going on. There's racial violence and stress, and, and bigotry isn't going away. 
profiling and prejudice isn't going away. Our politics, do you guys feel that as a country we are closer or more divided? I mean, we know this. So our greatest witness, and this is probably, if you don't remember anything today, remember this, our greatest witness in a mean world, our greatest witness in a non-kind world is showing mercy. Because it's so unusual. Showing mercy means that you put people ahead of you, that you, that you put people's interests ahead of your own. And every time you show mercy to other people or in the world, it is the greatest Christian witness that you can have. Because in this world, I mean, we know that it's very unmerciful. It's very unforgiving. We're in a world that you're taught to put people down. In fact, one of the highest forms of humor is to put people down. I should know I'm pretty good at it sometimes. And coming into this very unkind, unloving, unforgiving, mean world, and when people show mercy, I mean, they say, oh, that, that, it's refreshing to them. And they feel, you know, that that's what Christians should look like. That's how Christians should act. Because that is what Jesus did. So we should try to be like him. Look what Jesus said in, in Luke. He says, show mercy to others just as your father shows mercy to you. Again, we receive it, but it's supposed to be a conduit that just flows out of us. So I want to wrap up this eight-week campaign that we've been on and start talking about how do we become agents of mercy? How do you take all of these principles of mercy and apply them into your life? Well, first we have to know what those principles are. So write this down. The first one is that we start looking and listening for people's needs. That's always the starting point. You start looking and listening for people's needs. And I'm, whose needs? Your neighborhood, your family, the people you hang out with, the soccer field, basketball gym, or whatever it is. Because mercy always begins with awareness. It, be, it begins with you paying attention. It begins with you noticing. And if you care, you will be aware. And, and the reason, you know, I put some thought into this, and the reason that we're not merciful out in the world or out with our families or whatever, it's not that we're bad people. It, it's not that we're mean people. I mean, some of you are, but anyway, I'm just kidding. None of you guys are. I think the reason we're unmerciful is because we're just too busy. Because when you're too busy and you're moving from thing to thing and from agenda to agenda and from project to project, I mean, from one thing to another, you're not paying attention to the people around you. You're just on the go, go, go. And folks, if you're not paying attention, you can't possibly be noticing. And if you're not noticing, you're not looking. And if you're not looking, you're not listening. So you can't possibly be merciful. But if you care you're going to be aware. Paul says this in Philippians, look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. In fact, it's, it's telling us that attention is an act of love. You know, I remember when, when my daughter was small, and I remember I used to be sitting on the couch. Hey, daughter. And uh, she was there, and she, I mean, you know, back in the days where they had newspapers, they still have them, nobody reads them. But anyway... Uh, thank you, Don, for our newspaper on Sunday mornings. And uh, we're sitting there with a newspaper a long time ago, and she's a little girl, and she's saying, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And I'm like, yeah, honey, w what do you need? And she's like, Daddy, Daddy. And I'm like, what, honey? And she finally comes, and she kind of tears the newspaper, and she just kind of grabs my face with her hands and says, Daddy, look at me. And it was so convicting. 
Isn't that amazing? I mean, because the highest form of love is attention. Attention says that you matter to me. When you give people attention, you're, you're giving them your time. And your time is your life. It's not the stuff that you give them, like, like the gifts and, and advice and the money, because we can always get more of that. We can always get more stuff. But when you give people your attention, you're giving them a piece of your life, and you're never getting that back. So when you give people attention, you're giving them the highest, the most expensive gift that you could possibly give them. It's a piece. It's a slice of your life. And when you look at them in the eye and you pay attention, that is, that is the highest form of love, and that is the highest form of mercy. In fact, I've talked to a lot of husbands and a lot of dads, and you know, when they're having problems, they always come back and they say, you know, I don't understand it. I, I don't get it. I mean, I give them everything they want. I provide for them. I, they have a great home. They, they, all their needs are met. I mean, what more do they want? Well, it's pretty obvious what they want. They just, they just want you. They want your, they want your attention. They, they want you to look them in the eye because that's showing mercy to them. In the book of Matthew, there's a story about this young man who comes to Jesus, and he's got a lot of problems, and he asks some questions of Jesus, and the Bible says that this is what Jesus did. Now, it's amazing that this is even in the Bible. The Bible says that Jesus looked at him, and he loved them. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But it tells us that if you love people, you are going to look at them. I know this is hard. It's hard for me. And when you look at them, you're showing mercy for them. So you start by listening and looking for people's needs. And we need to start practicing that as we walk out of these doors today so that we can be agents of mercy starting with this week. And then the second principle and probably one of the hardest ones that I'm going to talk to you about is that don't be offended by other people's sin. Don't be offended by people's sins. You guys ever notice that that grace is messy. Grace and mercy are unconditional love, which means it's not like you get together. You, you don't tell people, hey, listen, why don't you go over, why, why don't you get your act together? And then I'll, I'll listen to you. Why don't you clean up your life and clean up your mess? And then, and then I'm going to be okay with you. It's not like you can tell people, hey, go make everything right and live a life just like how I think you should live a life. And then, but only then will I accept you. Go live the way you ought to live, the way I think you ought to live, and then, I'll, then you're going to be okay with me. Folks, the Bible tells us that if we're going to minister to people, if we're going to show mercy to people, you can't be offended by them. I mean, Jesus wasn't offended by the people that he hung out with, and Jesus hung out with the worst. The Bible tells us that he hung out with prostitutes and drunks and corrupt business people. I mean, he hung out with those people. In fact, he was accused of guilt by association all the time. People who were unloving, manipulative, who were immoral, but yet he was never, you guys notice if you read his stories, he was never offended by their sin. So the Bible tells us to look out for the needs of other people around you. And think about this for a second. I can't look out for them if I'm looking down on them. You guys hear that? You can't look out for people if you're looking down on them. You can't do it. So, so, so if you as a Christian are looking down on anybody, that means you're not looking out for that person. 
And if you claim to be a follower of Christ, again, if you're going to take his teaching seriously, you can't look down on anybody, nobody, even the people that, no, but, but, well, what about, not even them. You know, one of the things that Jesus never said was, you don't have to love that type. It's not in the Bible. You're never going to hear it. He never said, hey, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to love the people you don't agree with because their politics are the worst, or their lifestyle sucks, or their moral vision stinks. You don't have to love them because they're way off base in how you think. He never, ever said that. So if you're going to be an agent of mercy, the Bible says that you have to show mercy to everybody, and you have to look out for them and not look down on them. And I know that's hard, because, I mean, it's just one of the hardest things to do. But that's what God wants us to do, and that's what God teaches us to do, and that's what Jesus modeled for us to do. Here's what the Bible says. He says, show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. So there's people out there who says, you know, I'm an atheist, I'm agnostic. Your faith is wavering. I should show mercy to you. Or what about people, and I, and I see this happening more and more now. In fact, I had a lady speak to me a couple of days ago who says, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm really depressed. My son just went to school, graduated, and now he doesn't believe in God. Don't look down on them. Their faith is wavering. If they don't know what they believe right now, their faith is wavering. We are now to look down on them. We are to show mercy for them. Because look at what the rest of the scripture says. It says, show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. There are still others to whom you need to show mercy, but be careful that you aren't contaminated by their sin. In other words, showing mercy doesn't mean that I excuse everything and say that everything is okay, because it's not okay. I mean, you're out there and you're, you're addicted to things. That's not okay. That doesn't mean I'm going to be addicted with you. And showing mercy doesn't mean that I'm going to just uh, start doing the same things that those people are doing. Those things are, are a big deal, but we are to show mercy in spite of that. The Bible tells us just don't get corrupted by it. Just don't get involved in it. Be careful not to get contaminated by it. And what he's talking about here is the difference between acceptance and approval. In fact, Jesus accepts you and I completely. But do you think he approves of everything we say, do, and think? I can only speak for myself, but I don't think he does. So there's this fine difference, and, and we are to love people, and we are to accept them and show mercy, but it doesn't mean that everything they do is right. The Bible says that most importantly, love each other deeply. Love has a way of not looking at others' sins. Love has a way of not looking at others' sins. Did you guys notice the first two points? The first one says, look out for other people's interest. And this point says, don't look out for other people's sins. In other words, there's some stuff you should pay attention to, like their needs, their hurts, their interests, and there's some stuff in, in people's lives that you shouldn't pay attention to. He says, overlook their sin, because love covers a multitude of sins. And we are to look out for the interest of others, which means we, we don't look out for their sin. Paul said this in Ephesians, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. So here's my translation. 
cut some people some slack, basically. Just cut them some slack because that's, what's called, that's called mercy. Now, I also want to give you a principle right now that I think that if all of us did, it would really transform America overnight. And that is that don't expect unbelievers to act like believers until they are. And, I mean, this is so simple and so logical, but we often expect everyone we come across to, to act like Christians when they're not. I mean, we can try to make laws to make non-believers act like Christians, but it's not going to work. You know why? Because I don't know about your life, but in my life, I never had the power to change certain important things in my, my being, like my character. I never had the power to change any of those things until I accepted Christ in my life. I tried. It was a futile exercise. It wasn't until I came to Christ that God started to reveal the things that he wanted me to change. And that's when I started to have the power to change. To ask a non-believer to have that same moral standard as a believer is frankly, it's nonsense. First, they're not going to understand it because they don't understand it like you do. And second, they're not going to have the power to do it. And folks, I didn't either have the power to do it until I had Christ. And I don't think you did either. Because that's like getting the cart before the horse. In fact, if you read the book of Romans, the entire book of Romans says that the law is powerless. It doesn't have the power to change people's lives because only grace changes people's lives. Only mercy can change people's lives. The law has never changed anybody. That's why passing moral laws in our society to force people to, to act in a Christian way is not going to work. Which is also why it's so important for us to be agents of mercy because that is going to be our witness and our testimony and that's the only thing that is going to change our society. For example, we could pass a law in this country that says that we're going to outlaw bigotry. Sounds great in theory, doesn't it? But is the law going to turn a bigot into a loving person? Is the law going to turn a bigot into an accepting person? Only Jesus can turn a bigot into a lover. Only he can do it from the inside out. So we shouldn't expect unbelievers to act like believers until they are. Which means that you can't be offended by people's sins if you're going to show them mercy. If you're going to win them over to Christ, you just have to love them right where they're at. That's why when you walk in through those doors, those glass doors, there's a sign that says that there's no perfect people allowed in here because we welcome everyone to walk through those doors and we're going to love them just the same. And here's a good example. In Matthew 9, we're talking about Matthew who was a, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He was a tax collector. And in those days, tax collectors were the most hated profession in the Roman Empire. And Rome said to the tax collectors, hey, listen, Here's how much we need from every person, but you get to keep anything you collect above that. So every single tax collector would come to you and says, this is how much you owe, and then they would send a portion to the Roman government, and the rest would go in their pocket, and people hated them for that. And if you didn't pay, you would go to jail. Kind of like now, really, right? Except hopefully our tax collectors are on their moral. And Jesus goes to this party with all these tax collectors, and then this is what it says in the scriptures. It says, that night, Matthew invited Jesus to dinner with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners. The Pharisees, which were the, you know, the legalists, the, the religious right, were indignant. 
And they said, why does your teacher eat with such scum, they asked. First of all, that's not very nice, is it? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to be merciful not to offer sacrifices. For I've come to invite sinners to me and those who think, and not those who think they are righteous. He says, I didn't come for the people who are well. I came for the people who know they're sick, who know they're broken, who need a savior, who know they have problems. I've come to invite sinners to me, not to those who think they're righteous, who already have, think they have their act all together. The religious Pharisees, the legalists, they, they really couldn't understand why this guy, this Jesus guy, was, was so cozy with all the crooks and, and the riffraffs. They, they just didn't get it. I mean, Jesus, he's going to all of these parties and, you know, there, a lot of them were a bunch of drunks and, and gluttons and they actually accused Jesus of being like a party animal, but I guess he was based on what we read because Jesus wasn't looking for their approval. And let me tell you, neither should you. He was looking and listening for other people's needs. He was, he was going to where the needs were which means we shouldn't wait for them to walk through those doors. We should be, that's why this message is so important. We are to be the agents of mercy. We are to go out just like Jesus did. Jesus wasn't waiting for them to come to him, although a lot of people did. So that's the second. The third principle is to choose your words carefully. If you're going to be an agent of mercy in the world this week, you're going to have to choose your words carefully. Because mercy, guess what it's going to do? It's going to put a monitor in your mouth. And if you're going to be an agent of mercy, there's some things you can't say or shouldn't say. You can't be mean to people. You can't be rude to people. You can't put them down. You have to choose your words carefully. Paul says that when you talk, you should always be kind and pleasant so that you will be able to answer everyone in the way they should go. You know, I've learned, and I think you'll agree, that any time that we're, that we're being abrasive, we're not being persuasive. I mean, if you can't get what you want in a grocery store or a department store or a restaurant, and you're being offensive and rude and, and to the clerk or the waitress, you're not going to be persuasive. I mean, we're going to get what we want, because sometimes when you're rude, people are going to listen to you because they have to. That's what they do for a living, so they have to respond to you. But you're not being a very kind, nice witness showing mercy. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. This whole, all of these principles that, that, we're, that we're, we're talking about this morning, I mean, how do we actually do that? Especially when you grew up in an environment or a culture or in a family where, where it was common to put people down or make fun of each other. I mean, how do you break those, those habits in your life to actually be this agent of mercy that this is calling us to be? Well, I thought about this because that pertains to me. There's a, there's a lot of habits that I have to break in my life. And the first thing is that we have to ask for wisdom. And wisdom, we've talked about that here from the pulpit many times. And we talked that the fact that when you have wisdom, it's going to make you more patient. And the more wise you are, the more patient you're going to become. The wiser you are, the more merciful you're going to be. The more you understand the hurt and the needs of people around you, you're going to cut them some slack. And the more gracious and merciful and wiser you're going to become. And this is what James has to say about wisdom. He says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, 
gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. Wisdom is full of mercy. In other words, if I'm wise, I love peace, not conflict. You know, there's so many people right now, especially in social media, who are just not wise, are they? They love trolling and arguing and starting conflict and starting arguments and getting into fights. Well, this tells us that they're not being wise. Because when I'm not gentle, I'm not being wise. And the more your life is filled with mercy, the wiser that you're going to be. And the wiser that you become, the more merciful that you're going to be to the people around you. And that means with the people that totally disagree with you, and the people that totally disagree even with your politics, or even the people that hate you or are mean to you, or your enemy, this tells us that you still have to show everyone mercy because you are wise. So start looking and listening for people's needs. Don't be offended by their sins. Choose your words carefully. And here's the fourth principle of mercy. Value saving people over keeping rules. I think that's the second hardest for me. Value saving people over keeping rules. I like rules. I like structure in my life. But in God's book, saving people is a whole lot more important than keeping rules. Rules are not nearly as important as relationships in God's book. And, and in fact, Jesus modeled this for us over and over again. And in Matthew chapter 12, we, we read that it was against the law at the time, it was against the religious law anyway, for you to pick a grain of field on the Sabbath and eat it, meaning you weren't supposed to work on a Sunday, like the equivalent of our Sunday. Then it, it, that was considered work. So yet Jesus' disciples were so hungry that Jesus says, go out and get some grain and, and eat it. And the religious Pharisees, the legalists, they were indignant of that. And they go, hey, why are you guys breaking all the rules? And Jesus says, hey, my paraphrase, cut them some slack. They were hungry. You know, Jesus cared more about the disciples' empty stomachs than he did about their traditions. And over and over and over again, Jesus often broke rules to heal people, to care for them, to, to walk with them, to minister to them. Because that was more important than keeping rules in God's book. Folks, that what I'm talking about here is mercy, having mercy. And in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says this to the legalists, those Pharisees, to the, to the judgmental Pharisees. He says, you Pharisees are careful to tithe 10% of every part of your income. But then you ignore the other important matters of God's law, like justice and showing mercy and faith. Yes, you should tithe, but you shouldn't neglect the more important things. You know, this verse is I mean, it's kind of it's a little funny to me when you really think of the context of it, because you can see that Jesus didn't get along with the Pharisees. And in fact, the Pharisees obviously didn't like him either. And, and he was, yet he was full of grace and mercy, and all they would return is just more legalism and judgment. In fact, the only thing that Jesus ever complimented the Pharisees on, according to Scripture, was, hey, listen, you guys tithe. Good for you. You got that one right. You, you tithe. But you can't use that, he says, as an excuse to ignore the other important stuff like treating people fairly, showing mercy, and having faith. And by the way, this just, just as an aside, this is a, 
a time where I've heard people say, you know, we doesn't really talk about tithing in the New Testament, and Jesus never really talked about tithing. Yeah, he does. It's right there, just in case anybody was wondering. It says you should tithe. So we need to value saving people over keeping rules. Folks, if we're going to become agents of mercy, it's going to cost us. It really is. It's, it's one of the hardest things to do. But the rewards and the benefits and the blessing, not only for you, but for your family, if you are to be able to model that and teach your kids that, and that then they could become the same people, like you, you know, people of agents of mercy, it's going to bless you in, in tremendous ways. And all I'm talking about here this morning is, it's the essence of Christianity. It's why we came here this morning, to be a different people as a result of our relationship with our God. So, so as we come to the end of the series, I think it's time, time to start this lifestyle of mercy. You know, one day, God is going to reward you for all of the mercy that you show to your family and to others. So as I close, I want to close with this scripture. It comes from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. It says, God will not forget the work you've done and the love you've shown him by caring for and helping other people. So as we walk out of these doors today, let's be agents of mercy. We'll be rewarded for it. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we are just th thanking you this morning for your word. And if you this morning just want to be an agent of mercy and you feel God is telling you that you need to exercise and, and take his teaching seriously, just repeat this in your heart or agree with me as I, as I pray and say, Dear God, help me to start looking and listening for people's needs around me. Father, I've been too busy to pay attention. And Lord, help me to remember that love has a way of not looking at other people's sins. Father, and to be patient with them and make allowances for each other's faults. Father, help me not to expect unbelievers to act like believers until they are. And then, Lord, help me to, help me to choose my words carefully to not say unkind things, but to only say the things that build people up. And Lord, help me to value serving and saving people over keeping rules, to do what matters most, to see people brought into your kingdom. Lord, I just want to pray that as we just reach out to you and pray that in our heart, Lord, that you would be faithful and that you will answer us and you will give us the means and that we would be able to plant your word in our hearts in such a way like we always pray, Father, that we would be a different people as we walk out of these doors, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that we would all take up our, our, our challenge, Father, and our calling to be agents of mercy starting this week. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.